Chapter Twenty Five of Zanoni by Edward Bulwer Lytton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. A horrible majesty in the fierce aspect increases its terror and renders it more superb. Red glow the eyes, the aspect infected like a baleful comet with envenomed influences glares around. A vast beard covers the chin and rough and thick descends over the shaggy breast and like a profound gulf expand the jaws foul with black gore who am i i whom they accuse a slave of liberty a living martyr for the republic it roars the river of hell whose first outbreak was chanted by the gush of a channel to elysium how burst into blossoming hopes their hearts that had nourished themselves on the diamond dews of the rosy dawn when liberty came from the dark ocean and the arms of decrepit thaldram aurora from the bed of titan hopes ye have ripened into fruit and the fruit is gore and ashes beautiful roland eloquent vernagnoad visionary courtesy high-hearted malsherbes wits philosophers statesmen patriots dreamers behold the millennium for which ye dared and laboured i invoke the ghosts saturn hath devoured his children and lives alone i his true name of moloch it is the reign of terror with robespierre the king the struggles between the boa and the lion are past the boa has consumed the lion and it's heavy with gorge danton has fallen and camille desmoulins danton had said before his death the poltroon robespierre i alone could have saved him from that hour indeed the blood of the dead giant clouded the craft of maximilian the incorruptible as at last amidst the din of the roused convention it choked his voice the blood of danton chokes thee said garnier when on the fatal ninth of termidor robespierre gasped forth pour la dernière fois president des stations je te demande la parole if after that last sacrifice essential perhaps to his safety robespierre had proclaimed the close of the reign of terror and acted upon the mercy which danton had begun to preach he might have lived and died a monarch but the prisons continued to reek the glaive to fall and robespierre perceived not that his mobs were glutted to satiety with death and the strongest excitement of a chef could give would be a return from the devils into men we are transported into a room in the house of citizen duplay the monsieur the minusay in the month of july seventeen ninety four or in the calendar of the revolutionist it was the termidor of the second year of the republic one and invisible though the room was small it was furnished and decorated with a minute and careful effort at elegance and refinement it seemed indeed the desire of the owner to avoid at once what was mean and rude and what was luxurious and voluptuous it was a trim orderly precise grace that shaped the classic chairs arranged the ample draperies sank the frameless mirrors into the wall placed bust and bronze on their pedestals and filled up the niches here and there with well-bound books filed regularly with their appointed ranks an observer would have said this man wishes to imply to you i am not rich i am not ostentatious i am not luxurious i am no indolent sybarite with couches of down and pictures that provoke the sense i am no haughty noble with spacious halls and galleries that awe at the echo but so much the greater is my merit if i disdain these excesses of the ease or the pride since i love the elegant and have taste others may be simple and honest from the very coarseness of their habits if i with so much refinement and delicacy am simple and honest reflect and admire me 
on the walls of this chamber hung many portraits most of them represented but one face on the formal pedestals were grouped many busts most of them sculptured but one head in that small chamber egotism sat supreme and made the arts its looking-glasses erect in a chair before a large table spread with letters sat the original bust and canvas of the owner of the apartment he was alone yet he sat erect formal stiff precise as if in his very home he was not at ease his dress was in harmony with his posture and his chamber it affected a neatness of its own foreign both to the sumptuous fashions of the disposed nobles and the filthy ruggedness of the sans culottes frizzled and coiffed not a hair was out of order not a speck lodged on the sleek surface of the blue coat not a wrinkle crumpled the snowy vest with its under relief of delicate pink at the first glance you might have seen in that face nothing but the ill-favoured features of a sickly countenance at a second glance you would have perceived that it had power a character of its own the forehead though low and compressed was not without that appearance of thought and intelligence which it may be observed that breadth between the eyebrows almost invariably gives the lips were firm and tightly drawn together yet ever and anon they trembled and writhed restlessly the eyes solemn and gloomy were yet piercing and full of a concentrated vigour that did not seem supported by the thin feeble frame or the green lividness of the hues which told of anxiety and disease such was maximilian robespierre such the chamber over the monsieur's shop whence issued edicts that launched armies on their career of glory and ordained an official conduit to carry off the blood that deluged the metropolis of the most martial people in the globe such was the man who resigned a judicial appointment rather than violate philanthropical principles by subscribing to the death of a single fellow-creature such was the virgin enemy to capital punishments and such butcher dictator now was the man whose pure and rigid manners whose incorruptible honesty whose hatred of the excess that tempt to love and wine would had he died five years earlier have left him the model for prudent fathers and careful citizens to place before their sons such was the man who seemed to have no vice till circumstance that hotbed brought forth the two which in ordinary times lie ever the deepest and the most latent in a man's heart cowardice and envy to one of these sources is to be traced every murder that master fiend committed his cowardice was of a peculiar and strange sort for it was accompanied with the most unscrupulous and determined will a will that napoleon reverenced a will of iron and yet nerves of aspen mentally he was a hero physically a dastard when the verest shadow of danger threatened his person the frame cowered but the will swept the danger into the slaughter-house so there he sat bolt upright in his small lean fingers clinched convulsively his sullen eyes straining into space their whites yellowed with streaks of corrupt blood his ears literally moving to and fro like the ennobler animals to catch every sound a dionysius in his cave but his posture decorous and collected every formal hair in its frizzled place yes yes he said in a muttered tone i hear them my good jacobins are at their posts on the stairs pity they swear so i have a law against oaths the manners of the poor and virtuous people must be reformed when all is safe an example or two amongst those good jacobins would make effect faithful fellows how they love me hm what an oath was that they need not swear so loud upon the very staircase too it detracts from our reputation ah steps 
The soliloquist glanced at the opposite mirror, and took up a volume. He seemed absorbed in its contents, as a tall fellow, a bludgeon in his hand, a girdle adorned with pistols around his waist, opened the door and announced two visitors. The one was a young man, said to resemble Robespierre in person, but of a far more decided and resolute expression of countenance. He entered first, and looking over the volume in Robespierre's hand, for the latter still seemed intent on his lecture, exclaimed, "'Ah, Rousseau's Heloise, a love-tale! Dear Payan, it is not the love, it is the philosophy that charms me. What noble sentiments! What a door of virtue! If Jean Jacques had but lived to see this day!' While the dictator thus commented on his favourite author, whom in his orations he laboured hard to imitate, the second visitor was wheeled into the room in a chair. This man was also in what, to most of his prime of life, namely, about thirty-eight, but he was literally dead in the lower limbs, crippled, paralytic, distorted, he was yet, at the same time, soon came to tell him, a Hercules in crime. But the sweetest of human smiles dwelt upon his lips. A beauty almost angelic characterized his features. After the arrest of Robespierre thus mentioned his crippled colleague, Cathon, that virtuous citizen, who has but the lead and the heart of the living, yet possesses all these on a flame with patriotism, an irrepressible aspect of kindness, and the resignation of suffering but cheerfully benignity, stole into the hearts of those for whom the first time beheld him. With the most caressing silver-flute-like voice, Citizen Couthon saluted the admirer of Jean Jacques. Nay, do not say that it is not the love that attracts thee, it is the love, but not the gross, sensual attachment of man for woman, no, the sublime affection for the whole human race, and indeed for all that lives. And Citizen Couthon, bending down, fondled the little spaniel that invariably carried in his bosom, even to the convention, as a vent for the exuberant sensibilities which overflowed his affectionate heart. Chaumet had an aviary, to which he devoted his harmless leisure. The murderous Fournier carried on his shoulders a pretty little squirrel attached by a silver chain. Paynus bestowed the superfluity of his affections upon two gold pheasants, and Marat, who would not abate one of the three hundred thousand heads he demanded, reared doves, apropos of the spaniel of Couthon. Duval gives an amusing antidote of Sergeant, not one of the least relentless agents of the massacre of September. A lady came to implore his protection for one of her relations confined in the abbey. He scarcely deigned to speak to her. As she retired in despair, she trod by an ancient on the paw of his favorite spaniel. Sergeant, turning around, enraged and furious, exclaimed, "'Madam, have you no humanity?' "'Yes, for all that lives,' repeated Robespierre tenderly. Good Couthon, poor Couthon, ah, the malice of men, how we are misrepresented, to be culminated as the executioners of our colleagues. Ah, it is that which pierces the heart. To be an object of terror to the enemies of our country, that is noble. To be an object of terror to the good, the patriotic, to those one loves and reveres. That is the most terrible of human tortures at least, to a susceptible and honest heart. How I love to hear him! ejaculated Couthon. Hm, said Payan, with some impatience. But now to business. Ah, to business, said Robespierre, with a sinister glance from his bloodshot eyes. The time has come, said Payan, when the safety of the Republic demands a complete concentration of its power. 
these brawlers of the committee du salon public can only destroy they cannot construct they hated you maximilian from the moment you attempted to replace anarchy by institutions how they mock at the festival which proclaimed the acknowledgment of a supreme being they would have no ruler even in heaven your clear and vigorous intellect saw that having wrecked an old world it became necessary to shape a new one the first step towards construction must be to destroy the destroyers while we deliberate your enemies act better this very night to attract the handful of gendarmes than guard them than to confront the battalions they may raise to-morrow no said robespierre who recoiled from the determined spirit of payan i have a better and safer plan this is the sixth of termidor and on the tenth the convention go into a body to the fete de cadre a mob shall form the cannoneers the troops of henroy the young pupils de Ecole de mars shall mix in the crowd easy then to strike the conspirators whom we shall designate to our agents on the same day too forquet and dumas shall not rest and a sufficient number of the suspect to maintain salutary awe and keep up the revolutionary excitement shall perish by the glaive of the law the tenth shall be the great day of action Payan, these last culprits have you prepared a list it is here returned Payan laconically and presenting the paper robespierre glanced over it rapidly culade herbois good barre i it was barre who said let us strike the dead alone never return vadir the savage gesture good good vadir of the mountain he has called me mahomet sacrilat blasphemer mahomet is coming to the mountain said couthon in his silvery accent as he caressed his spaniel but how is this i do not see the name of talane talane i hate that man that is said robespierre correcting himself with the hypocrisy or self-deceit which those who formed the council of his phrase-mongering exhibited habitually even among themselves that is virtue in our country hate him there is no man in the whole convention who inspires me with the same horror as Talene. Couthon, I see a thousand Dantons where Talene sits. Talene has the only head that belongs to this deformed body, said Payan, whose ferocity and crime, like those of St. Just, were not unaccompanied by talents of no common order. Were it not better to draw away the head, to win, to buy him for some time, and dispose of him better when left alone? He may hate you, but he loves money no said robespierre writing down the name of jean lambert tallien with a slow hand that shaped each letter with stern distinctness that one head is my necessity i have a small list here said couthon sweetly a very small list you are dealing with the mountain it is necessary to make a few examples in the plain these moderates are as straws which follow the wind they turn against us yesterday in the convention a little terror will correct the weathercocks poor creatures i owe them no will i could weep for them but before all la chere patrie a terrible glance of robespierre devoured the list which the man of sensibility submitted to him ah these are well chosen men not of mark enough to be regretted which is the best policy with the relics of that party some foreigners too yes they have no parents in paris their wives and parents are beginning to plead against us their complaints demoralize the guillotine couthon is right said payan my list contains those whom it will be safe to dispatch en masse in crowd assembled at the fete his list selects those whom we may prudently consign to the law shall it not be signed at once 
it is signed said robespierre formally replacing his pen upon the inkstand now to more important matters these deaths will create no excitement but collot de herbois bourbon d'olier tallien the last name robespierre gasped as he announced they are the heads of parties this is life or death to us as well as them their heads are the footstools to your carule chair said payan in half a whisper there is no danger if we are bold judges juries all have been your selection you seize with one hand the army with the other the law your voice yet commands the people poor and virtuous people murmured robespierre and even continued payan if our design at the fate fail us we need not shrink from the resources still at our command reflect not henriot the general of the parisian army furnishes you with troops to arrest the jacobin club with the public to approve inexorable dumas with judges who never acquit we must be bold we are bold exclaimed robespierre with sudden passion and striking his hand on the table he rose with his crest erect as a serpent in the act to strike seeing the multitude of vices that the revolutionary torrent mingles with civic virtues i tremble to be sullied in the eyes of posterity by the impure neighbourhood of these perverse men who trust themselves among the sincere defenders of humanity what they think to divide the country like a booty i thank them for their hatred to all that is virtuous and worthy these men and he grasped the list of payan in his hand these not we have drawn the line of demarcation between themselves and the lovers of france true we must reign alone muttered payan in other words the state needs unity of will working with his strong practical mind the corollary from logic to his word-compelling colleague i will go to the convention continued robespierre i have absented myself too long lest i might seem to overawe the public that i have created away with such scruples i will prepare the people i will blast the traitors with a look he spoke with the terrible firmness of the orator that had never failed of the moral will that marched like a warrior on the cannon at that instant he was interrupted a letter was brought to him he opened it his face fell he shook from limb to limb it was one of the anonymous warnings by which the hate and revenge of those yet left alive to threaten tortured the death-giver thou art smeared ran the lines with the best blood of france ready thy sentence i await the hour when the people shall kneel thee to the doorsman if my hope deceive me if deferred too long hearken read this hand which thine eyes shall search in vain to discover shall pierce thy heart i see thee every day i am with thee every day each hour my arm rises against thy breast wretch live yet a while though but for a few and miserable days live to think of me sleep to dream of me thy terror and thy thought of me are the heralds of thy doom adieu this day itself i go forth to riot on thy fears your lists are not full enough said the tyrant with a hollow voice as he dropped the paper from his trembling hand give them to me give them to me think again think again barre is right right frappons il n'y a que les mortiers while such the designs and fears of maximilien robespierre common danger common hatred whatever was yet left of mercy and virtue in the agents of the revolution served to unite strange opposites in hostility to the universal death-dealer 
there was indeed an actual conspiracy at work against him among men little less bespattered than himself with innocent blood but that conspiracy would have been idle of itself despite the abilities of talin and barras the only men whom comprised worthy of foresight and energy the names of leaders the sure and destroying elements that gathered round the tyrant were time and nature the one which he held no longer suited the other which he outraged and stirred up in the human breast the most atrocious party of the revolution the followers of herbert gone to his last account the butcher atheists who in desecrating heaven and earth still arrogated inviolable sanctity to themselves were equally enraged at the execution of their filthy chief and the proclamation of a supreme being the populace brutal as it had been started as from a dream of blood when their huge idol danton no longer filled the stage of terror rendering crime popular by that combination of careless frankness and eloquent energy which endears their hearts to the herd the glaive of the guillotine had turned against themselves they had yelled and shouted and sung and danced when the venerable age or gallant youth of aristocracy or letters passed by their streets in the dismal tumbrils but they shut up their shops and murmured to each other when their own order was invaded and tailors and cobblers and journeymen and laborers were huddled off to the embraces of the holy mother guillotine with as little ceremony as if they had been montmorencies or la tremouilles the malherbes or the lavoisiers at this time said couthon justly the shades of danton herbert and chaumet walk amongst us among those who had shared the doctrines and who now dreaded the fate of the atheist hubert was the painter jean nicot mortified and enraged to find that by the death of his patron his career was closed and that in the zenith of the revolution for which he had labored he was lurking in caves and cellars more poor more obscure more despicable than he had been at the commencement not daring to exercise even his art and fearful every hour that his name would swell the lists of the condemned he was naturally one of the bitterest enemies of robespierre and his government he held secret meetings with collot d'herbois who was animated by the same spirit and with the creeping and furtive craft that characterized his abilities he contrived undetected to disseminate tracts and invectives against the dictator and to prepare amidst the poor and virtuous people the train for the grand explosion but still so firm to the eyes even profounder politicians than jean nicot appeared the sullen power of the incorruptible maximilian so timorous was the movement against him that nicot in common with many others placed his hopes rather in the dagger of the assassin than the revolt of the multitude but nicot though not an actual coward shrunk himself from braving the fate of the martyr he had sense enough to see that though all parties might rejoice in the assassination all parties would probably concur in beheading the assassin he had not the virtue to become a brutus his object was to inspire a proxy brutus and in the centre of that inflammable population this was no improbable hope amongst those loudest and sternest against the reign of blood amongst the most disenchanted of the revolution amongst those most appalled by its excesses was as might be expected the englishman clarence glyndon the wit and accomplishments the uncertain virtues that had lighted with fitful gleams the mind of camille desmoulins had fascinated glyndon more than the qualities of any other agent in the revolution 
and when that vivid child of genius and of error shocked at the massacre of the girodins and repentant of his own efforts against them begin to rouse the serpent malice of robespierre by new doctrines of mercy and toleration glyndon espoused his views with his whole strength and soul camille desmoulin perished and glyndon hopeless at once of his own life and cause of humanity from that time sought only the occasion of flight from the devouring golgotha he had two lives to heed besides his own for them he trembled and for them he schemed and plotted the means of escape though glyndon hated the principles the party and the vices of nicot he yet extended to the painter's punery the means of subsistence and jean nicot in return designed to exalt glyndon to that very immortality of brutus from which he modestly recoiled himself he found his designs on the physical courage of the wild and unsettled fancies of the english artist and on the venomous hate and indignant loathing with which he openly regarded the government of maximilian on that same hour on the same day in july in which robespierre conferred with his allies two persons were seated in a small room in one of the streets leading out of the rue st honore the one a man appeared listening impatiently with a sullen brow to his companion a woman of singular beauty but with a bold and reckless expression and her face as she spoke was animated by the passions of a half-savage and venomous nature englishman said the woman beware you know that whether in flight or at place of death i would brave all to be by your side you know that speak well Felide, did i ever doubt your fidelity doubt it you cannot betray it you may you tell me that in flight you must have a companion besides myself and that companion is a female it shall not be shall not it shall not repeated Felide, firmly and folding her hands across her breast before glyndon could reply a slight knock on the door was heard and nico opened the latch and entered Felide sank into her chair and leaning her face on her hands appeared unheeding of the intruder and the conversation that ensued i cannot bid thee good day glyndon said nico in his sans couleur fashion he strode towards the artist his ragged hat on his head his hands in his pockets and the beard of a week's growth upon his chin i cannot bid thee good day for while the tyrant lives evil is every sun that sheds its beams on france is it true what then we have sown the wind we must reap the whirlwind and yet said nicot apparently not heeding the reply and as if musing to himself it is strange to think that the butcher is as mortal as the butchered that his life hangs on a slight a thread that between the cuticle and the heart there is a short passage that in short one blow can free france and redeem mankind glyndon surveyed the speaker with a careless and haughty scorn and made no answer and proceeded nicot i have sometimes looked around for that man born for his destiny and whenever i have done so my steps have led me hither should they not rather have led thee to the side of maximilian robespierre said glyndon with a sneer no returned nicot coldly no for i am a suspect i could not mix with his train i could not approach within a hundred yards of his person should i but be seized you as yet are safe hear me and his voice became earnest and expressive there seems to be danger in this action there is none i have been with collot d'herbois and bilouad veranus they will hold him harmless who strikes the blow the populace would run to thy support the convention would hail thee as their deliverer 
Hold, man, how darest thou couple my name with the act of an assassin? The toxins sound from yonder tower to war between humanity and the tyrant, and I will not be the last in the field, but liberty ever yet acknowledged a defender in a felon. There was something so brave and noble in Glyndon's voice, mind, and manner, as he thus spoke, that Nicot at once was silenced. At once he saw that he had misjudged the man. No, said Felidi, lifting her face from her hands. No, your friend has a wiser scheme in preparation. He would leave you wolves to mangle each other. He is right, but— Flight! exclaimed Nicot. Is it possible? Flight? How? When? By what means? All France begirt with spies and guards. Flight would do to heaven it were in our power. Dost thou too desire to escape the blessed revolution? Desire? Oh! cried Nicot, suddenly and falling down, he clasped Glyndon's knees. Oh, save me with thyself! My life is a torture. Every moment the guillotine frowns before me. I know that my hours are numbered. I know that the tyrant waits, but it is time to write my name in his inexorable list. I know that René Dumas, the judge who never pardons, has from the first resolved upon my death. O Glyndon, by our old friendship, by our common art, by thy loyal English faith, and thy good English heart, let me share thy flight. If thou wilt, so be it. Thanks, my whole life shall thank thee. But how hast thou prepared the means, the passport, the disguise, the— I will tell thee. Thou knowest, see, of the convention. He has the power, he is covetous, said he, when he reproached for his avarice. Well? By the help of this sturdy Republican, who has friends enough in the committee, I have obtained the means necessary for flight. I have purchased them. For a consideration I can procure thy passport also. Thy riches, then, are not in assignats? No, I have enough gold for us all. And here Glyndon, beckoning to Nicot into the next room, first briefly and rapidly detailed to him the plan proposed, and the disguises to be assumed conformably to the passports, and then added, In return for the service I render thee, grant me one favour, which I think is in thy power. Thou rememberest, Viola Pisani? Ah, remember, yes, and the lover with whom she fled and from whom she is a fugitive now. Indeed what? I understand. Sacre bleu! But you are a lucky fellow, cher confrere. Silence, man, with thy eternal prate of brotherhood and virtue. Thou seemest never to believe in one kindly action, or one virtuous thought. Nicot bit his lip, and replied sullenly, Experience is a great undeceiver. Hm! What service can I do thee with regard to the Italian? I have been accessory to her arrival in this city of snares and pitfalls. I cannot leave her alone amidst dangers from which neither innocence nor obscurity is a safeguard. In your blessed republic, a good and unsuspected citizen, who casts a desire on any woman, maid or wife, has but to say, Be mine, or I denounce you. In a word, Viola must share our flight. What's so easy? I see your passports provide for her. What's so easy? What's so difficult? This Felide would that I had never seen her, would that I had never enslaved my soul to my senses. The love of an uneducated, violent, unprincipled woman opens with a heaven to merge in a hell. She is jealous as all the furies. She will not hear of a female companion, and when she sees the beauty of Viola, I tremble to think of it. She is capable of any excess in the storm of her passions. I know what such women are. 
my wife beatrice Sacchini, whom i took from naples when i failed with this very viola divorced me when my money failed and as the mistress of a judge passes her in her carriage while i crawl through the streets plague on her but patience patience such is the lot of virtue would i were robespierre for a day cease these triads exclaimed linden impatiently and to the point what would you advise leave your felide behind leave her to her own ignorance leave her unprotected even by the mind leave her in the saturnalia of rape and murder no i have sinned against her once but come what may i will not so basely desert one who with all her errors entrusted her fate to my love you deserted her at marseilles true but i left her in safety and i did not then believe her love to be so deep and faithful i left her gold and i imagined she would easily be consoled but since then we have known danger together and now to leave her alone to that danger which you never would have incurred but for devotion to me no that is impossible a project occurs to me canst thou not say that thou hast a sister a relative or a benefactress whom thou wouldst save can we not till we have left france make Felide believe that viola is one in whom thou only art interested and whom for thy sake only i permit to share our escape ah well thought of certainly i will then appear to yield to Felide's wishes and resign the project which she so resents of saving the innocent object of her frantic jealousy you meanwhile shall yourself entreat Felide to intercede with me to extend the means to escape to to a lady who has aided me in my distress yes i will manage all never fear one word more what has become of that zanoni talk not of him i know not does he love the girl still it would seem so she is his wife the mother of his infant who is with her wife mother he loves her ah and why no questions now i will go and prepare viola for the flight you meanwhile return to Felide. but the address of the neapolitan is it necessary i should know lest Felide inquire rue m t number twenty seven adieu glyndon seized his hat and hastened from the house nicot left alone seemed for a few moments buried in thought oho he muttered to himself can i not return all this to my account can i not avenge myself on thee zanoni as i have so often sworn through thy wife and child can i not possess thyself of thy gold thy passports and thy filete hot englishman who wouldst humble me with thy loathed benefits and who hast chucked me thine alms as to a beggar and filete i love her and thy gold i love that more puppets i move your strings he passed slowly into the chamber where Felide yet sat, with a gloomy thought on her brow and tears standing in her dark eyes. She looked up eagerly as the door opened, and turned from the rugged face of Nicot with impatient movement of disappointment. Glyndon, said the painter, drawing a chair to Felide's, has left me to enliven your solitude, fair Italian. He is not jealous of the ugly Nicot. Ah, yet Nicot loved thee well once, when his fortunes were more fair. But enough of such past follies your friend then has left the house whither ah you look away you falter you cannot meet my eyes speak i implore i command thee speak enfin what dost thou fear fear yes alas i fear said the italian and her whole frame seemed to shrink itself as she fell once more back into her seat then after a pause she tossed the long hair from her eyes and starting up abruptly paced the room with disordered strides 
At length she stopped opposite to Nicot, laid her hand on his arm, drew him towards Escartois, which she unlocked, and opening a well, pointed to the gold that lay within, and said, Thou art poor, thou lovest money, take what thou wilt, but undeceive me. Who is this woman whom thy friend visits? Does he love her? Nicot's eyes sparkled, and his hands opened and clenched, and clenched and opened, as he gazed upon the coins. But reluctantly resisting the impulse, he said with affected bitterness, Thinkest thou to bribe me? If so, it cannot be with gold. But what if he does love a rival? What if he betrays thee? What if, wearied by thy jealousness, he designs in his flight to leave thee behind? Would such knowledge make thee happier? Yes, exclaimed the Italian fiercely. Yes, for it would be the happiness to hate and to be avenged. Oh, thou knowest not how sweet is hatred to those who have really loved. But wilt thou swear, if I reveal to thee the secret, that thou wilt not betray me, that thou wilt not fall, as women do, into weak tears and fond reproaches, when thy betrayer returns? Tears, reproaches, revenge hides itself in smiles. Thou art a brave creature, said Nicot, most admiringly. One condition more, thy lover designs to fly with his new love, to leave thee to thy fate. If I prove this to thee, and if I give thee revenge against thy rival, wilt thou fly with me? I love thee, I will wed thee. Felide's eyes flashed with fire. She looked at him with unutterable disdain, and was silent. Nicot felt he had gone too far, and with that knowledge of the evil part of our nature, which his own heart and association with crime had taught him, he resolved to trust the rest to the passions of the Italian, when raised to the height to which he was prepared to lead them. "'Pardon me,' he said. "'My love made me too presumptuous, and yet it is only that love, my sympathy for thee.' beautiful and betrayed that can induce me to wrong with my revelations one whom i have regarded as a brother i can depend on thine oath to conceal all from glyndon on my oath and my wrongs and my mountain blood enough get thy hat and mantle and follow me as felide left the room nico's eyes again rested on the gold it was much much more than he had dared hope for and as he peered into the well and opened the drawers, he perceived a packet of letters in the well-known hand of Camille Desmoulins. He seized, he opened the packet. His looks brightened as he glanced over a few sentences. "'This would give fifty glindens to the guillotine,' he muttered, and thrust the packet into his bosom. "'O artist, O haunted one, O erring genius! Behold the two worst foes, the false ideal that knows no God, and the false love that burns from the corruption of the senses, and takes no luster from the soul. End of chapter 25 Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, voiceover-solutions.com